Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fourth Mastermind episode with myself, Adam Lawrence, and Manish Kataria. So before we get started... Big welcome, guys. We've actually managed to do a whole year of this, so I think that's pretty good effort all round. And I had a quick look at our picks from the last few episodes across that year. And actually, we've done pretty well. (laughs) We've done really well. So if we go back to our first episode, which was in June, our picks on the whole, so there were three picks. We've averaged a 27% return from those. How we roll? Our picks from 21st of September, we've averaged 27.5% return from those. Considering that's a shorter time space, I think that's pretty impressive. And then our latest one, which was only three months ago, we're at a minus 4%, but obviously still a very short time. So on the whole, we're doing very, very well. We're we're beating the benchmark. So I think... um... Who's winning, who's losing? Come on, come on. I knew someone would say that. Um, I'm afraid to... Well, the problem is we had your pick that I haven't even included, which was shorting the UK gilts, which was that trade which was exceptional. But I've I've struggled to calculate what that would be. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So I've kind of left that out. So I think if we... I mean, you'd probably be winning if that was in there. But as it's not, I'm afraid yours truly is in the lead. And that's really (laughs) made up the three picks over time were Meta, which is up 27%, Antofagasta, which is up just over 40%, and then Emerging Bond ETF, which is nothing, there's zero. It's kind of stayed where it has been. But yeah, it's all been all been pretty good so far. So listen, we've got, got a lot of lot to keep up to. Expectations are high. So it'll be interesting to see what we're all picking this month. Before we start, there's a bit that's been going on in the news about the, the macro environment, the investment environment with banking crisis. I mean, it seems like every two minutes we've got a new crisis on. Shall we have a quick discussion about what the investment landscape is like? Manish, if we want to come to you first, what's been going on? There's been lots going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's, um, you know, what's taken all the headlines, the banking sector clearly has raised a few eyebrows. It kind of came out of the blue, right? So which is why people, you know, the headlines were sort of all flashing red, but Actually, my take on it, and I'll tell you why, you know, I I think it's a lot of it's overblown. I think a lot of it is confined to pretty a narrow sort of set of events. This is not 2008 all over again. This is not a global financial crisis. The banks overall are in great shape. And it's because of that previous crisis, they're in great shape because they've had to clean up their balance sheets. Now, what that did in 08 is the authorities... The central banks basically said to the uh, said to the banks, "You cannot invest in dodgy assets, right? Or you're restricted investing in dodgy assets like mortgage back loans and things like that." So what they did, they all piled into government bonds, 
So, so that's the sort of dodgy asset that led to the you know fall down of Silicon Valley Bank this time around. So, and it's it was a bit of a liquidity mismatch, a timing mismatch, right? So they invested in long term U.S. government bonds, which went down in value because interest rates were being increased, and and that's led to losses, which they cannot honor their depositors now, right? So they can't meet all their depositors, and that just led to a bit of panic, a bit of a run on the banks. And they couldn't honor those depositors. So essentially, right now, the toxic asset is government bonds, which, you know, it's much easier to fix compared to dodgy mortgage backed loans. Right. So so that's what's happened. And the central bank just came in and provided lots of liquidity, protected the depositors and said to Silicon Valley Bank equity holders, sorry, you're not getting anything. So that's what's happened. Credit Suisse was a bit of a basket case in itself. And that was kind of an accident waiting to happen at some point. And look, there might be one or two other ones. You know, in the UK, I think we're pretty safe. There might be one or two like Metro Bank. Who knows what's going to happen there? But I think it's okay. Share price has been coming down. One or two in the US, like First Republic might be in trouble. Who knows? But on the whole, I think this is an easy problem to fix. So I think it's overblown. In fact, the equity markets this year are still up on the year, right? So the S&P is up on the year. The UK... FTSE is still up on the year, and it was up last year as well. So overall, equity markets are trying to see through this. So so I'm reasonably relaxed. I, I said at the start of this year, I'm positive and I remain positive. But it's not great, right? And the red flag would be if we have sort of major, more major bank failures. If that was to happen, then I would change my mind. I think right now I'm pretty relaxed. And the final thing I would say is the authorities... They're really quick on the ball this time around. They come out quick, provided liquidity, and they're not going to let 08, 09 happen again. So I think from that point of view, we're okay. Brilliant. And Adam, anything to add to that? I think that's a magnificent summary, to be honest. There's not loads and loads to add. I'd probably go a bit further on the Credit Suisse situation and say that the Swiss National Bank have taken their opportunity to punish them, slash close things down, for something that's been a bit of an embarrassment on a fairly incredible banking reputation over the last few years. And Manish didn't mention the, the AT1 bonds, which were additional tier one capital that was raised. Although Credit Suisse apparently is in the Swiss in the Swiss legislation, they'd written something in that made it clear this could happen, which is not in the rest of the £275 billion AT1 bond market in Europe so there's not as much fear around contagion around that as possible and probably just flag Deutsche Bank in a similar sort of boat as Credit Suisse although really the flagship bank of Germany whereas of course Switzerland's got UBS as well who have been the theoretical beneficiary of all of that but I totally agree with Manish's summary that it's overblown and I can't see any major risk of contagion i love his characterization of the dodgy assets being the bonds so true to be fair to some of the bankers they were told interest rates weren't going up anytime particularly quickly and i i remember myself in 2020 saying well this is another decade of cheap money and obviously i was spectacularly wrong on that front as well in 2020 so you can understand why it happened but what you've seen is people that have niched people that have specialized even though svb had a a pretty hefty balance sheet. If you're in tech or you're in crypto, you did really well in 2021. And since then, it hasn't been that great. That's the bottom line. So it's more the 
the specialisation than the a fundamental issue with the banking sector, as Manish says. So I'm actually going to steal someone else's discussion points on this because I saw this and I just thought it was brilliant. Um, so this is from a guy called uh, Sean Pench, who is a hedge fund manager at a company called Ramble Global. And he's put out this letter and I'll, I'll kind of run through it. So he said, in December 2010, Allied Irish Bank had a tier one capital ratio of 4.3%. Okay, so what a tier one capital ratio is, is it basically compares the bank's equity with its risk-weighted assets. Okay, for anyone that doesn't know. So they had a capital ratio of 4.3%. So that's 4 billion of equity was backing 145 billion of assets. They also had another problem, okay, which was they only held 4 billion in cash against 52 billion of deposits, meaning it only took 8% of their depositors to get worried about their weak capital position and wanting their money back. And it was game over, which, of course, we know it was for them. So it was nationalised, I think, in 2010, and the shareholders were just completely diluted in a similar way to what's happened over at Credit Suisse. So we rolled forward 12 years, and at the end of last year, so 31st of December 2022, Allied Irish Bank held cash of £38 against a deposit base of £102 So it's only going to be a problem if more than 38% of their depositors want their money back. And why would they? Because Allied Irish Bank now has a tier one capital ratio of nearly 20% versus the 4.5% they had before. And it's the same story across a lot of the rest of Europe and the UK. In 2010, you had Society General held cash equal to only 5% of deposit liabilities. And in December 22, it's 40%. BNP Paribas has gone from 6% to 32%. Deutsche Bank, even from 3% to 29%. So we've heard a lot in the last couple of weeks as well about a lot of these European bank CEOs kind of saying a lot of what Manish is saying, hey, look, this is not contagion and this is not 2008. It's not coming after us. So if we look at what actually happened with Silicon Valley Bank, they had cash of only 8% of their deposit liabilities. Signature Bank had only 7%. And First Republic, which Manish just spoke about, only has 2%. So really not a lot of wiggle room there. And again, it's kind of showing why actually it is in the US specific banks in trouble, whereas that is certainly not the case in the UK where tier one capital ratios have to be a minimum. I think it's 4.5%, but I mean... You look at Barclays, who's the most probably investment-led, more risky of those kind of main high street banks, and theirs is still at around 14%. So it just kind of goes to show you that it's a very, very different story on the whole over here. But again, like anything, you're going to get some bad actors, and I think sometimes it does take a couple of casualties to kind of rid the market and get it going again. So, yeah, I'm interested to hear about everyone's picks and I've got a feeling there might be a few financials in here. So, shall we get cracking? Is, is any volunteers for who's going to go first? 
I don't mind going first because it leads on nicely to my death or glory sort of effort for this quarter, really, Rod. Um, I sent you the ticker symbol over. I can't remember the the ticker symbol of it, but it's an ETF that effectively represents regional US banks in the S&P 500. So I feel this is going to go one of two ways, really. And I don't see either of them being particularly damaging for the entire sector. So there are obviously potentials for equity wipeouts, as with, as mentioned with SVB and things like that. But everybody knows, especially the US, that Rod's just probably proven that the tier one ratios are wrong and that wouldn't comply to Basel three, and that's why the European requirements are, uh, or the European tier one capital is in so much of a better position. But I don't see either of these outcomes being awful. So. Either we're going to see continued support, and there's been pressure on Yellen to announce a year's worth of unlimited deposit guarantees and those those famous words, whatever it takes, you know, all the rest of it, all of that's going on. Or there's going to be some consolidation. And I think everybody knows 4,300 regional banks in the US is too many. It's too fractured. It's too difficult to regulate. They're not as uh, proactive in regulating them as the the FCA and the PRA have been, for example. They don't like regulation in the US. They really don't, especially half of the House really doesn't like it. But nonetheless, I think there's going to be some consolidation and or there's going to be some protection or temporary liquidity or guarantees. I don't see either of them really, therefore, reflecting a sector that's down 30% year to date. Um, That's where this ETF is trading at at the moment. And I think the only way is up, baby. But let's see how we go. So that's that's succinctly this quarter. That's me. That's me. So so that was uh, the ticker symbol for that is KRE, and it's the S and P Regional Banking ETF. Thanks, Rod. I guess my only kind of push against that would be you mentioned there's four thousand three hundred regional banks in the US. I know the US is a colossal sort of size but it it does seem an awful lot if you are investing into this kind of etf surely there's going to be a few more that kind of come out in the wash if there's that many and if there does need to be a consolidation kind of period do you think we've had it just with the kind of two or three that have gone under or do you think there might be a few more that really kind of struggle through and yeah, I'm, that's my kind of, that's just my, my concern. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be massive ramifications, but I'm just thinking if there's maybe a few more to come out of this, how do you think that will play? And then my second point is if rates continue to go up, and I mean, there's talk every couple of weeks about, right, that's it, we're over it in the US, it's coming down and then something else happens and it and it kind of continues. I think in the two weeks when Six Silicon Valley Bank did kind of go under, there was 300 billion of liquidity from the central bank that went in that obviously is going to then contribute again to inflation. And will that then pressure central banks to keep moving things up? And actually, this is just going to kick the can down the road a little bit until some of the some more of these regional banks come under. I, I don't know what... Start with the latter point. I don't know that that's necessarily that inflationary, what they've done in terms of the liquidity provision, because it it hasn't been particularly inflationary, apart from from an asset perspective, over the past sort of 15 years. And there are arguments that QE of any form is disinflationary rather than inflationary. So 
I'm not so sure that, that necessarily follows on. Fair but point. the answer, the answer to the first point, hey mate, we only record we record this when we record it, right? This might get worse before it gets better. I do agree with you, but I still think it will get better overall. And I think there's more likely to be M and A premier on some of these sorts of stocks. And there's in a very fractured sector like this that makes so much money. Surely there's there's safe there's cost savings on the table here. I'm kind of expecting them to lean towards some consolidation, which will help the sector and improve operating margins and things like that. So I suppose there's a bit of a punt on that side as well. But that's my sort of overall thinking around it. But I did say death or glory, Rod, to be fair, in my defence. So, uh... <laughs> Manish, any, any kind of comments from you? Well, I think the two of you both got in there before me, so I was going to have a punt on financials as well. But so, uh, so I decided not to do that. But look, I think it's worth a punt for sure. You know, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, two things. One is, if you look at the chart, it's looking pretty vertical, so it's uh, it's like catching a falling knife. But I think there's value there. And the second thing I would say, so you know, if you're an account holder with these regional banks, right, you'd be kind of thinking, looking. Okay, should I be holding my deposits within these smaller regional banks? And what's been happening is that there's been a flight of deposits from regional banks into large banks. So you could make the argument to say, well, look, these regional banks are going to see a loss of deposits and the bigger banks are going to get even bigger and the regional banks will continue to languish. So those are the only two things I would say. But overall, I think there is a potential buying opportunity given how much they've fallen. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I am looking now at that, the graph of KRE share price, and you're not wrong. It, it is pretty vertical. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like one of those water slides at theme park that just completely kind of falls under. I mean, it's, yeah, it's down kind of 40% in the last year. So, yeah, that's a big discount. And like we all kind of, I suppose, agreed at the, at the beginning it's not as bad as it seems is kind of the general consensus so i can see why you've gone for that okay super manish do you want to go next or do you want me to go yeah i'll go so so i, I not financials but the one i i've gone with, i don't know if we're going to talk about interest rates later but i personally think we're very close to a peak in interest rates in the us certainly and probably in the uk as well and there's a couple of reasons for that you know i think headline inflation at least seems to have peaked, at least in the US. There's been a, a slowdown in consumer spending, slowdown in house prices in the US, all these bank concerns. I think the Fed has probably done its last rate hike for a, a while now. So all of that added together, I think that's really supportive for tech, in my view, right? And that's one of the reasons tech technology fell off last year, because rates were going up, because they're very sensitive to interest rates because of their valuations and stuff. So Given that, I would be looking to technology. So I've gone for a technology ETF called XLK. These are the US big tech companies in the US, Microsoft, Apple being the two biggest constituents. So I've gone for that. I mean, it's already up pretty strong already this year, up 17% this year. But, you know, over a one-year period, it's down sort of almost 10%. So I think in a lower rate environment, technology you know, there's a lot of good stuff going on, AI, growth of robotics, automation, etc. I think all of this plays into stocks, which have actually kind of fallen out of favor a bit over the last 12 months. So so that's my pick. I, I think I already have Microsoft in there. 
as a previous pick, but um, you know, done very well. Yeah, pretty well. All of these are kind of making six month highs actually. So they've done work pretty well. So yeah, XLK is my pick this time around, given my views on the on the rate direction. So I agree with you there on the US. I'm not sure about the UK in terms of interest rates, but I think for the US, I'd agree. My only concern is kind of one that you, you've already brought up. Has it already had those gains? Because it's up a decent amount from its lows. And... I don't know, it's still on an average kind of PE ratio of over 27 and things like that for the ETF. It's made up decent kind of highs back from the lows. And it's just thinking, I'm not thinking there's going to be a drop in interest rates in the US. I think, yeah, they're probably going to stop for the time being increasing. I'm not sure there's going to be a drastic cut, which I think if there was, then I'd be really kind of pro that. Having said that, I do still think kind of some of your, like Google is still good value and and some of those kind of tech ones. And I do think there was another kind of ETF I was looking at, which was um, sort of AI based. And I thought those were good. And and this one is kind of a bit more into, XLK is a bit more into actually some of the components that make up some of the, some mm. of the like semiconductors, for example, those sort of things that go into it. So I don't think the technological revolution is kind of over by any stretch. I think there's so much further to go. I'm just wondering if this the last six months of gains are going to peter out now as kind of rates stay the same or, or stay fairly constant. I'm not sure whether you think there's going to be a, a drop in those rates over in the US or not. Hello, everyone, and sorry to interrupt your show. I wanted to quickly tell you about this year's Resolve Property Business Retreat. Myself, Adam Lawrence, and Sue Sims each year take SME property businesses for a seven-day intensive property business program, which is designed to give each business focus and a clear strategy moving forward. We help to take apart each business and put the foundations together to ensure it can grow sustainably for the future. After the treat, we also hold each business to account every month during monthly calls. The days are long and include workshops designed for the individual businesses that attend, but we promise you and your organisation will get so much out of it. If you would like more info or to even speak to last year's attendees to find out if it was worth it, please contact me on my email, which is in the show notes. The dates for this year are the 8th of October, for seven nights so we hope you can make it now let's get back to the show well that depends a lot on you know how the sort of economy plays out right later this year so the market expectation if you look at fed futures they're expecting a decline in interest rates later this year because you know it's kind of taking various things into account so that is expecting a decline yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, it's, it's been very strong over the last six months. Absolutely. I, I can't argue against that. You know, still over the year, it's still down. I think it's still kind of fallen out of favor somewhat. So there might be some people looking at interest rates and think, okay, that's the reason tech fell out of favor last year. Now, if interest rates are at least on hold, if not declining, that would be a, a tailwind. The only other thing I would mention is that, so there's two ways of playing XLK, either to buy the shares or to do options. And on options, I was just looking, you get 1.6% per month on options to have a strike price below 
current market value. And that's how I normally like to play these things to kind of, I think it's a more conservative way of playing, you know, any of these ETFs and, and stocks. So that's how I normally do it. You get lower returns potentially, but you know, 1.6% a month isn't too bad, really. And I, you can play it both ways. So yeah, uh, that's that's how I would do it. Yeah, I was going to say, and even with kind of Adam's bet where he said, he's not saying that the worst might not have happened, but over the period of time, things go up. So again, it could be a great time to pound cost average in for that sort of thing, mm-hmm. or even options as well, like you suggested. Yeah. Also, to your point, there's a trend element as well of where is it going? I mean, it's we're always thinking a bit more long term, I guess. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think, like I said, I, there's so much technological advancement happening and so it's obviously going to be a, that's where everything seems to be going i mean the whole thing of chat gdp coming up and everyone now has kind of got ai at the forefront of their mind how is this gonna i don't know factor into our daily lives and business and you know, corporate earnings for example yeah. and, and i think it's only going to be positive despite i think today elon musk and various big wigs in technology saying they were going to slow down on these massive AI products mm. because otherwise AI was going to take over the human race or something. Mm. I haven't read the full article, but just saw, saw something like that come up today. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting one. Great. Okay. So my pick, I was a bit torn for mine. I, I wanted to go for Barclays and, and I'll admit I did actually buy some of Barclays stock over the last few weeks and I bought it at around 131 pence, and it's today at 141. So it's gone up a fair bit since then. And I mean, in, before we started the picks, I kind of explained why I felt that UK banks were a bit were better off. It's got a current dividend yield just over five percent, price to earnings of just under five percent. But the reason I'm not going to pick it is because. Unlike the US, where Manish has just said he thinks kind of inflation is over, I'm not sure it is in the UK. And from the latest inflation reading, what I was concerned about is there was an the core inflation is increasing. So although headlines were focusing on food, energy, things like that, actually it's the core inflation which is a bit concerning for me. Barclays, as I did mention, it has a, a large portion of its kind of um, assets in, in investment and overseas and things like that. So I am just a little bit worried that that kind of might not shoot up as quick as kind of I might have thought. So I'm going to go after the success I had with Antofagasta, which was the mining stock. I'm going to go with another mining stock, which is Glencore. Um Maybe because I'm mentioning all these things that are in the FTSE 100, I should just be getting the ETF of the FTSE 100 maybe. But yeah, I'm going to go with Glencore. It's currently giving a dividend of over 10%, price to earnings of just above four. It has made some pretty good gains in the last six months. Yearly low of, I think, 395 the high of 584, and it's currently trading at 464. I just thinking, I know it focuses a lot on copper, and there's a lot of kind of talk that actually copper is not the best thing if you think there's a recession because there's less people going. But I also think there's just such a need 
for spending on infrastructure and infrastructure spending doesn't seem to be slowing down much. I think that's globally as well. And Glencore prices things throughout the world. So yeah, I'm just, I'm a bit torn, if I'm honest, about if it's still the time to do these value plays or if we're coming to the end of it and actually it's quality stocks that are going to really rebound quickly first. And that's why I was kind of umming and ahhing against Barclays and Glencore. But I think I am going to go with Glencore because I just think there's a bit more, a bit longer until we're really over this hump and then those quality ones will kind of take off. Um, But love to hear your thoughts. Hello, everyone. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between 6 and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. I would just say, Rod, you sounded just like Lord Sugar then when he's deciding between two candidates. When you're (laughs) like, oh, I'm I'm really struggling here to decide. Oh, please, you're fired. (laughs) That's right. All the Alan Sugar words. But look, I actually, just my quick view on Glencore. So you've gone with Glencore, right? So that's, yeah, look, it's, Obviously, it's very sensitive to commodity prices. I was just looking earlier. A lot of these commodity prices are down sharply over the last 12 months. So copper's down 20, I think. Um, for, for property investors amongst your uh, your listeners, you know, 
Timber is down 60% year on year, which is amazing. Well, the basket um, of all materials is down for building. All materials. But the only problem is labour is okay. shot up. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's the problem, yeah. So, you know, wheat is down, you know, the soft materials are down. The only thing that I noticed was up is sugar, which is up 10%. But apart from that, everything is down double digits big time. And the other thing about, you know, the UK gas prices, which was a big issue for us all, it's down 60%. Uh, wholesale gas prices down 60 70% in one year. So that's all good for headline inflation. But like you said, core inflation is a lot more sticky. So, you know, Glencore's share price will be sensitive to commodities prices. So if these things continue to go down, you know, it won't help. The only other thing I would say is you mentioned dividend yield. Was it 8 10% on this? 10.2%, yeah. Yeah. So I would take that... Slightly with a pinch of salt, because, you know, those dividends can be cut. We commodity companies, you know, do cut dividends on a fairly regular basis. So that's the only thing I would just watch out for. There's certainly value on a price earnings basis. And, you know, if, if inflation continues to persist, that's an inflation insurance play in the portfolio, I would say. So that would be my sort of commentary on it. And I think you've kind of highlighted why I picked it, because I do think that there's a bit more to come in the inflation kind of landscape. I don't think we're over that hill in the UK yet, but totally agree with everything you've said about the commodities. And I think commodities, I think they're going to go up again. And I think they are, they've come down quite quickly. And I think that hasn't really, I don't think that's quite justified right yet, but it's going to be interesting to see. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I think one of you's had a punt on interest rates and one of you's had a punt on inflation, right? So that's interesting. So, well, one, on the bus. Yeah, but one's interest rates in the US. Sure, but I think I'm on the bus with you as far as inflation goes. As you know, I've seen very little to change my mind from a long time, apart from to support the bus that I've been on for a couple of years. I think there's the, the bearish narrative has not really played out as far as inflation and overall global growth goes from a population perspective. All of these things put more pressure on commodities more pressure on energy prices there's still things of interest to play out this year i'm sure i i think your characterization rod of where the u.s is at in the cycle we've also got to remember you know the u.s is at 4.75 to 5 and we're at 4.25 so there there is a difference there a fundamental difference whereas our bond yields over time have tended to trade a little bit higher um, yeah, so at five to five two five now, I think. Aren't they? Oh, I thought they were at four seven five to five still. But so anyway, they're they're well ahead of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now they are they're ahead of us in the cycle, right? They're a good six months ahead of us in this cycle as a rule. Although they started the hikes later, they were more aggressive with it. But they were ahead of us in the cycle in terms of COVID because they didn't have the blanket of furlough and mm-hmm. all the stuff that we did to kind of smooth the wave. Not dissimilar to the way the two governments approached 0809 as it happened, really. So I think you've got that. You, we'll find out a bit quicker in the US that core inflation that's hovering around six in both climates. I mean, there was, you know, I read a lot of interesting stuff around the time of the amount of stimulus they pumped out in the US saying, you know, really we need about 50 to 60% inflation in order to stay solvent as far as the amount of debt that's been taken on. And it was more a case of how quickly could they do it. So I do have a bit of a conspiracy theorist angle to the governments of both countries secretly wanting some four, five and six percent inflation. But of course, 
They don't want the social unrest with what comes with it going higher. And the UK have let, let the horse gallop past the gate just that little bit further. And every time, every extra basis point is a bit harder to rein in. So I think we've got some dodgy prints coming. It's certainly in April in the UK. And I think we're maybe more than six. Well, US inflation peak was probably June last year. You know, we've, pro we've almost certainly seen it, really. But what they've struggled to do is they've got rid of the transitory and it's got sticky, right? So I don't know that the UK has got rid of the transitory yet, despite all of those falls in commodities that you guys have been talking about, because everyone's been sticky with their pricing because people have had money. People have had savings. They were in better shape in the UK than they were in the US. Andy Haldane was saying this when he left the Bank of England and he wasn't really being listened to that much, you know, but he nailed it. And he did, he said they didn't really know how this was going to impact consumer spending over the next period. Mm -hmm. It's papered over the cracks of all of this inflation. Are people out of bullets yet? It doesn't seem like it quite yet. So I'd be betting on a lower recession, which means your commodity plays make sense, Rod, I think, because copper's likely to recover, apart from anything else. And we've got some global shortage issues to deal with. And has everything gone through the supply chain yet? Maybe it has. But if you weren't well funded, yes, when you're mining, you're deciding whether to do things this year or not. But also all the capital you potentially didn't raise in one year might have an impact for 5, 10 or 15 years. I mean, you can't really compare it to things like oil exploration because that's got climate change pressures written all over it. But it does have longer term cyclical effects than just the decision to mine this year or not or to, to saw this this year or not. You know, so I think overall, you probably got the edge there by going with I, I like what you've done, really. I like what you've done there. The other thing is wages increase so we've we're hearing every week about another wage uh, strike action that's been settled and they, the wages have gone up and that's in the public sector which the government seems dead set on, on really avoiding but then you look at the private sector and i mean you've got i think it was costa coffee and pretamonje who have done three pay raises in the last 12 months three on all their staff totaling 19 percent so when you've got this happening, um, it's hard to see it not going. And that's mm. my, my struggle. But again, maybe I'm missing a trick here and should just be doing the FTSE 100 <laughs> and covering both. Maybe I'll just try to meet. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not well, much of a podcast, mate, wouldn't it? Let's uh, face it. You know, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? I'll, I'll sell the FTSE. I'll buy the S&P. We're all done. See you later. Thank <laughs> Okay. Just on the inflation, the, the last thing I would add is that on the UK situation, we are in a really tricky position, right? Because if the US doesn't raise rates, and if we continue to raise rates, that's going to be really positive for sterling. So sterling is going to continue strengthening. So they have to almost keep an eye on sterling, because if that goes too high, they won't be too keen. The exporters won't be too keen on that. And so that's one thing to watch out for. Just the final thing I just noticed. In the US now, for the first time in a long, long time, real interest rates are actually positive as measured by the Fed's preferred measure, which is core PCE inflation. So core PCE inflation is 4.7% and their interest rates are 4.75. So it's the first time that's happened for a long, long time. So, you know, that's just, it's not, not the case in the UK, sadly, but in the US it is. Mm, good point. I hadn't actually looked at that. Very good. Okay, brilliant. Well, 
I'm looking forward to tracking these and I guess we'll catch up in three months to see how we're going. Now we've set the standard 25% returns (laughs) or whatever. We can only go downhill from here, mate. I know, I know. Trying to keep up with these high returns is when everyone makes mistakes, isn't it? As we're seeing, no more toxic products like bonds. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brilliant, guys. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll catch up soon. Good to see you. Cheers, guys.